This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Secure Cloud Business Applications Project, known as SCUBA, taking place at the Homeland Security Department, grew out of the solar winds breach back in 2020. The idea is for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to develop basic cyber standards for cloud services like email and collaboration tools that most agencies are using. Vincent Sridipan is the Cyber Quality Service Management Office Section Chief at CISA. He tells Executive Editor Jason Miller in an exclusive interview about the launch of SCUBA and how it could keep civilian agencies breathing during a cyber attack. Our key objective internally is really around enabling secure cloud business applications and accelerating key shared services. We look to, in this case, provide architecture, security configurations, uh, really to offer fundamental protections for cloud business applications within FSEB agencies or for FSEB agencies and, and providing them to give both security and visibility, right, necessary to identify and detect adversary activities in their cloud environments. So goal really, as you know, uh, CISA uh, looks to protect federal networks, cloud, in this case, business applications, you can think of email and collaboration tools, uh, those various SaaS pieces are always being used today uh, as we do from hybrid cloud to just native cloud. There's more reliance there, right? And so our our SCUBA project is helping the the security visibility of those things so that we can properly leverage business applications for our mission. Let's talk a little bit about what SCUBA is. You released a couple of guidances as well. What are you trying to accomplish with SCUBA beyond Uh, You mentioned transparency, you mentioned accountability, you mentioned really visibility within the environments. So put the pieces together for me, Vincent. And what is being released now, you'll see, is the SCUBA technical reference architecture and what we call EVRF, Extensible Visibility Reference Framework. However, this is really just the first push of of publications and guidance to come out, right? Overarching for for SCUBA, I'll tell you that... um, we are looking to provide guidance first, right? So things like a, a, secure, a secure cloud business application technical reference architecture is really security guidance to agencies so that they can use it to adopt cloud deployments, adaptable solutions, right? Various security architectures and zero trust frameworks in mind. Um, the idea here is that, you know, as they deploy cloud business applications, there is a requirement for a variety of application configurations, security services, integration into existing enterprises, right, that we have to be cognizant of. So being able to have that technical reference architecture, seeing architecturally how things should be put together, what type of guidance is there to create a a secure implementation um, is what we're putting out first. It's, It's sort of really the first step. The other part that we put out for requests for comment here is the EVRF, Extensible Visibility Reference Framework. Really, this is aligned with CISA's operational visibility strategy overarching. Um, But think of this as, hey, what are the visibility requirements and how could I, in a common way, develop this, right? And and think about how much telemetry and visibility, whether it's required by the cyber EO or whether it's required in agencies, you know, everybody does it differently. How they choose what visibility they need um, is is quite a daunting task when you think about every vertical of, of technology domains. So what we've looked at, and I'd say EVRF is actually going to be broader than just the SCUBA project, but the team took this opportunity to leverage this to develop a, really a a guidebook, right? It's really an overview. So it is high level, 
um, the, that identifies in an organization, right? The visibility data used to mitigate threats, understand the threats, and look at potentially like how we could uh, respond to such uh, visibility gaps, right? That's the intent. So I think that it's very much trying to leverage a threat-informed decisions around visibility um, so that when we say, hey, you know, please give CISA X data, right? It's not just give us everything. It's there's a reason for it, right? For threat hunting purposes, for investigation of incidents across various enterprises, you have to be able to justify that. So instead of everybody developing their own requirements around visibility, this framework helps set that up for various domains that we want to do. And it's really justified around sort of this threat informed decision, right? So we leverage things like the attack framework that's there in order to justify and understand, well, well, what type of data and visibility do I look at? What telemetry am I trying to capture and send, you know, to whatever the reason, right? And we can all sort of play from the same sheet of music. It's not only good for CISA internally, right? And we can leverage that across, but also for agencies, for industry, right? To figure out, well, what are the overlays? What, what are the equities for an agency? How could a vendor essentially respond and understand in my domain stack. So we talked about M365 and Google Workspace, right? Those are on the roadmap. We we want to develop EBRF workbooks that would be specific to M365 and Google Workspace so that we have the, the necessary visibility so that say, you know, solar winds happens again or some type of incident such as that. Hopefully we're better secured and prepared, but if not, at least we have the needed visibility so that we can address lateral movement or identify and evict, you know, the adversary if it's, you know, in the cloud, in the network, wherever. Those are the two pieces. There are other parts of the project, just to give you a sense that we look to do. We talk about product-specific security guidance, right? So think about security configuration baselines for things like M365 and Google Workspace. A lot of times people buy these products and vendors do their best to keep them secure directly, but you have configuration options. We look at SolarWinds and, you know, what happened between on-prem identity, you know, ADFS to Azure AD in the cloud and how that worked, right? This idea around auto-sync and, and the choices that agencies make in their configurations is really important. Just because you trust someone that comes from your network doesn't necessarily propagate that to their identity and credentials to the cloud, right? Um, there should be checks in places. There's a lot of things that you have to consider. So I'll just note that we do look to produce in the future and provide to agencies at least a minimum a level of security around security configurations for things like M365 and Google Workspace. Additionally, for the project, we want to test these out, right? We don't want to just tell you, this is this is actually part of why we're doing a request for comment, is that um, we don't want to just tell you, hey, just because we said so, you, you should do it this way. No, um, we not only leverage the various subject matter expertise, FFRDCs, national labs, you name it, our own folks, uh, interagency collaboration, but the truth is, we want to, and we, we do have Microsoft, Google, Amazon, others really helping uh, to refine and work these things as before we put them out. But the thing is, we can test it, test it in an environment in which, you know, can you do conformance and validation testing? Can you, you know, do any kind of red team or some form of assessment against them? Right. And the project itself, really the guidance, right, that we talked about for technical reference architecture, EVRF visibility and product specific security configuration. But then the implementation side goes into the testing itself, engagement with 
with agencies to understand you know, how could we scale the say configuration of and unautomate such things? How could we audit and automate such things? Is that needed for an agency? Does it disrupt say usability as an example, right? How do we weigh that in? All the way to uh, the last part of the project is around cybersecurity shared services. So looking to you know what we call candidate cybersecurity shared services is do we need to develop any shared service uh, cybersecurity shared service for agencies to enable uh, cloud security you know and, and secure cloud business applications the usage right google workspace m365 is there any need for such a capability because you think about you know we have various you know processes in place uh, governance structures in place but in the cloud, you know, compromised incidents, other things occur all the time. So what is it that we need to do different? And is there a shared service that's needed or not, right? That's to be determined, but that's a part of the project overall. Vincent Sridapan, the Cyber Quality Service Management Office Section Chief at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Hear more at federalnewsnetwork.com slash askthecio. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person personally was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing We were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, And then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, As part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, So that was probably the the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and 
obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind. 
um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.